By now, you've all heard of Italian Wine Unplugged 2.0, the latest book published by Mama Jumbo Shrimp. It's more than just another wine book. The fully updated second edition was inspired by students of the Vinitali International Academy and painstakingly reviewed and revised by an expert panel of certified Italian wine ambassadors from across the globe. The book also includes an edition by Professore Attilio Scienza, Italy's leading vine geneticist. The benchmark producer's feature is a particularly important aspect of this revised edition. The selection makes it easier for our readers to get their hands on a bottle of wine that truly represents a particular grape or region. To pick up a copy, just head to Amazon.com or visit us at MamaJumboShrimp.com. Welcome to this special Italian wine podcast broadcast. This episode is a recording off Clubhouse, the popular drop-in audio chat. This Clubhouse session was taken from the Wine Business Club and Italian Wine Club. Listen in as wine lovers and experts alike engage in some great conversation on a range of topics in wine. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. And remember to subscribe and rate our show wherever you tune in. Okay. Hello, everybody. Ciao, Julie. Ciao, buonasera. How are you? And Julia. Ciao, Julia. Ciao, Stevie. Come stai? Molto bene. Bene, bene. So, hello, everybody. My name's Stevie Kim. It is six o'clock on the dot here in Italy. I see that some of our friends, Rodrigo, Rebecca, Paul, ciao, Joanna. Jody, ciao ragazzi, happy new year. So this is, of course, the Italian Wine Club on Clubhouse. We've been doing this for some time now. We are joined with, of course, Joy Livingston. It, she has that crazy, this is Avatar. And she is, of course, the Italian Wine Podcast producer because all of our recordings will be replayed on the Italian Wine Podcast, wherever you get your pods. And Laika... She is our clubhouse manager. She does this very rigorously with some structure. So it is, she makes certain that this every episode is a successful one. Okay, so we'll get the show started. This is, of course, called the Ambassador's Corner. And it is where one of our Italian wine ambassadors from the Vinital International Academy community at large gets a chance to interview their favorite producer. And today it is Julie. Ciao, Julie. Come stai? Ciao, buonasera. Sto bene. I'm doing well. How are you? Where are you? Where are you? I'm in Florida. Yeah, listen. I, I mean, I just sent you your copy of your book. By the way, Julie was one of the um, editors for the Italian Wine Unplugged, the new book that's just come out. It is the new textbook. Um, if you guys have not checked that out, please get your copy on Amazon, wherever you live. And thank you so much, Julie, for doing that. It was monumental, you know, everyone's contribution. And I just want to thank everybody who was involved, you in particular with Corrine and Cynthia, of course, who had the monumental task of revising and copy editing all of the entries. So thanks. Thank you so much again. Thank you for the opportunity. It was great. 
Yeah, I, I don't. Have you seen the Have you seen the book? Oh yes, I ordered it the first day. And and what do you、out. think? Are you happy with it? Oh yes, it's such a great study guide because that's the first thing I thought. I was like, wow, this is an amazing study guide for future Italian wine students. You know, yes, the layout.、So mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Oh no, no, I'm just the layout and how the book is organized. It's perfect. Yeah, I think we made some some progress from the first version. So this is the 2.0 version. So if you haven't、um, had a chance to have a look, grab your copy. Paul Bologna, I love you. You made the great review on Amazon, and some 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 idiot made a very bad comment as well. So I need more comments. I know there are tons of you. We've sold already hundreds of copies in three weeks, but but、uh, we need. For you to make some more reviews online, if you you get a chance, so that's just a small shout out to everybody. So let's get on with the show today. Today,、um, Julie has invited Julia as the favorite、um, producer that she would like to interview today. I, I suppose you met her when you went down to Umbria. Is that correct? Yes, I met her in June as part of the Orvieto Ambassador Program. So there were so many producers. Why did you choose Julia? I got a chance to have a small chat with her as well. But why did you choose Julia today as the、um, interviewee? So yes, I Julia will be interviewing Julia because <laughs> <laughs>、uh, because I noticed that when I was in the Orvieto area, and of course this is when Julia was starting to take over as the vice president of the consortio. She had such a passion for Orvieto, not just the city, but also its wines and its future. So for me, I noticed that you know Enzo had kind of passed her the baton, and Julia is just ready to you know showcase Orvieto worldwide, and so that's why I chose her. Great, excellent. So、um, for the geeky、uh, part of the of the call today, what are we expecting from your your interview today with Julia? So I would say our main objective is about the four major soils of the Orvieto wine region. Because you know, it's something as if I would tell my, you know, con the consumers who come to the Italian cellar to buy wine, I would say, you change your soil, you change your wine. And so, with Orvieto, we have four major soils. So, depending on the producer, you could have completely different. You know, yes, they're Orvieto Doc wines, but different flavor profiles and such because of the different soils. So, we're going to be talking about those, and of course. You can't ignore the native grapes of Umbria, so of course grapes are a part of that. And then, if, if time permits, I know that Argile also produces olive oil, and so Italian wine and Italian olive oil go together as well. So we hope to discuss that. Okay, excellent. So as you know, this is my favorite part where I get to shut up. As you know, it never, it rarely happens. So Julie, you take it away. Take full advantage of my silence. And I will come back towards the end to see if there are any questions from the audience. Okay, perfect.、Thank、Take it、so、away.、Much. All right. Well, good evening and buonasera. I am Julie, also known as Julia, and I will be interviewing Julia Di Cosimo of Ardigile Winery. So this is a winery that's located、uh, north of Orvieto, and today we're going to be talking about how、uh, Julia, after studying for her economics and then a master's degree in economics, she went back to Umbria. And to work with the company founded by her grandfather Giuseppe in 2005. So we're going to talk about that. So hi, Julia. Buonasera. Ciao, Julia. Buonasera. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. And you? I am doing very well. I'm excited to talk about your wines today. Me too. I'm very excited. Yes. Okay. So we'll just we'll start. So I know that 
um, as I had just mentioned, that you had um, come back to Umbria and said about 2005 to work at your the company that your grandfather founded. So tell us more about even the meaning of argile, because of course this might be an Italian vocabulary lesson for our listeners. But why is, you know, tell us about the name and how it's important to your wines. Uh, great question. Question. Thanks for asking, because uh, our company name is very, very important for us. Argile uh, is the Latin name of clay. And we choose this name because indeed the majority of our soil is made by clay. Consider that in some parts of the vineyards, we reach almost 50% of clay in the soil composition, which is a lot of composition for just one component, for just clay. And this has an impact in what we do, especially in the wine we produce. Uh, so back uh, in the past, back when my grandfather started uh, in 2005, he thought this name can, uh, you know, uh, synthesize our soul, our identity. And I like to say now that argille, so the clay soil, represents everything in the sense that it shows all our potential, but at the same time uh, also our limits. Uh, talking about limit and potential, what, what I'm talking about, it could be a little bit uh, tough to understand, but as a potential, we, I mean that uh, clay soil um, provides a lot of body, a lot of structures in the wine. Um, as limits, I'm talking mostly about the quantity, so eels produced in the field which now is a good thing. Uh, having a, a small production is very good no? for quality, for rich and high quality wine. Yes. And so it's funny when you mentioned the, of course, the name of your winery, I'm having flashbacks to my Latin classes. So, you know, singular would have been argila with the A and then argile plural. I'm having flashbacks <laughs> to that, knowing singular and plural in Latin. But Yes, and so very important knowing about the name of clay. And so then when we think about even your role in the Consorzio, so tell us mm -hmm. about um, what you're doing with the Consorzio Vino Orvieto. Uh, I became vice president last year, and uh, for me it's very challenging, uh, but I decided to accept because I, I fall in love with this region. I moved here eight years ago. I choose Umbria, I choose Orvieto, and uh, I did it because I see a great potential that is not even exploited, not yet, not in total. And uh, uh, I, I think that Orvieto as a wine has a great future, but we have to work for it. Uh, in the past, especially in the 70s, in the 60s, Orvieto was very popular worldwide. Uh, in Europe, in the United States. Nowadays, it deserves a little bit of more attention. We have uh, uh, to make it popular again and trendy. So my commit commitment as a young producer and to, you know, make it again popular, fancy, and uh, uh, the kind of wine for new generation, for millennials, especially for millennials. So this is why I, I accepted the challenge to turn vice president. And right now I'm in charge, especially of the events. So I'm the vice president in charge of the events of the consortium activities. Yes, I've seen quite a few of the posts from, you know, the consortium's website or social media uh, and you at the different events. And I think 
that's what will help. The Orvieto dock is, of course, it's more exposure. And then, of course, as a teacher and then a wine educator, it's about educating about why Orvieto wines are so unique. And so, you know, let's, okay, so then that would go into my next question. So when we talk about Orvieto dock, what do you think the wine drinkers should know about Orvieto wines? Like, why choose Orvieto? There are many things people have to learn and to understand about Orvieto wine. But the key points uh, to keep in mind, uh, I would say there are at least three. Uh, the first one is that Orvieto is uh, a white wine. The majority of, of Orvieto wine produced and sold in the market, and I'm talking about 11 million bottles almost every year, are white wines. Uh, 99% would say, I would say is white wines. The remain part is red wines. So first of all, Orvieto is a white wine. And second key point is that Orvieto wine is a blend. And our regulation says that Orvieto blend has to be made at least by two components, two grape varieties, the, who are, they are uh, Grechetto and Trebbiano. So these two varieties has to be in the blend as a minimum 60%. So we can have an Orvieto wine, for give you, give you an example, 99% Grechetto and 1% Trebbiano, 60% Grechetto and 40% Trebbiano, or we can have the sum of the two grapes, 60%, and the remaining 40% can be other varieties uh, allowed by the regulation of Umbria wine production. So as you can see, we have uh, a lot of varieties that we can use in the blend. And this is one of the reasons that we can have very different styles of Orvieto. Uh, before we were talking with Stevie about the different Orvieto wines, the different profiles, I think that this is one of the beautiful things we have here in Orvieto for this wine, is that we have very so many, sorry, so many different varieties, so many different styles, and uh, started from the blend. Because as a producer, we can have, we can play with the grapes, you know, and create a personal style. So there are many, many different Orvietos. And another key point uh, I, I want that people, uh, I would like that people keep in mind talking about Orvieto, is that Orvieto appellation is uh, one of the fewer Italian DOC which is not just in one single region, but covers two regions. Normally, DOC and DOCG uh, are just in a single region, you know. Uh, Orvieto is one of the few appellations that covers two regions. The main part is in Umbria, of course, and the classical area is in Umbria. And then, and then we have also a small portion in Lazio. I think that is another, you know, uh, pretty much interesting things to keep in mind about our appellation. Yes, especially how you had mentioned the different styles and the freedom of the producers, because it's not as if we're dealing with, you know, a Brunello where it's 100% of a grape, but we're dealing with, you know, depending on the producer's, you know, calculation this, that year of uh, grape varieties. So that's an interesting thing. Every year you could have a completely different wine. So, but also what's important about Orvieto, and I remember learning this when I was there in June, it's about the soils of the region. You know, you have these distinct soils that then of course affect our flavor profiles and styles. So can you tell us more about, um, I know you had mentioned clay before, but the different types of soils of the region. 
Uh, we're very lucky. We have many different kinds of soils. And uh, uh, back three years ago, we started a research, uh, tried to summarize and synthesize all these varieties uh, for a better understand also the wine we produce and to better explain them. And we find out that the majority of the soil can be synthesized in four different kinds, which are clay soil, volcanic soil, alluvial soil, and sandy soil. Uh, of course, it's not possible to trace a line, to trace some borders. You know, I can say that, okay, this, this company is inside an area which where we can find just clay, these other companies in an area where we can find just volcanic. Most of the time we have a mix, you know. Uh, but uh, the research find out that the majority are these four different kinds of soils. And uh, in each single company, in each single winery, there is a predominant component. In, this, in my case, for example, is clay, you know. Uh, this is because the name Argile, which means clay. And so we uh, put this on a map, and all the companies are inside this map. So you can say, okay, this company is inside, uh, uh, is in a, in a part of the appellation where it's more clay soil. This other company is in a part where it's, where it's more volcanic soil. And this helps, can help the producer to better understand the different uh, profiles that we have in Orvieto wines. Because one beautiful thing about Orvieto wines is complexity. I, I can't talk about an Orvieto wine, but many Orvieti. Huh? I don't know if, if I can say in Italian Orvieti, but the plural is kind of Orvieti, no? because we have different profiles, different um, kind of wines. And this varieties is because, first of all, our regulation, which is very broad, we can use many different varieties. And secondly, because our terroir is very different, depends on where you are. Yes. And that was very interesting to learn this past summer during that very hot week. <laughs> Late <June. laughs> I'm was still very processing hot. it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But it was great to see those different um, soils. And of course, you know, we had tried wines even um, without the labels. Like I remember it was just the label of the soil. And that was, I think, a good way um, to really interact with the wine. So then we know with Orvieto Doc and of course, um, you know, producing wines, but I know looking at your wine portfolio, you also produce um, an Umbrio Rosso and then you do a Spumante. So would you like to tell us a little bit more about I guess your special project with Spumante. Ah, oh, my pleasure. <laughs> Spumante is uh, is a wine that I love uh, very much. Uh, the, I love the project and I love uh, uh, the research uh, we we took uh, uh, we, we we did uh, ten years ago for producing the sparkling wine. You know, Umbria is not a region famous for sparkling wine production. Uh, and of course, neither Orvieto, no? We don't have a tradition connected with the sparkling wine. But back 10 years ago, we started this project because uh, mm, sparkling wine were popular, were trendy, and we want to face new challenge. And so we started uh, from scratch. We didn't know anything about the sparkling uh, process. We didn't know anything. We were very mm, familiar. We were I would say good in doing the steel wines, but not 
in this party. And uh, over this decade, we learned so much. So I say, I like to say that uh, it was a very learning by doing experience. So we learned how to make spumante by making the spumante. And I love this project because um, uh, this project is pretty much unique. Normally, when uh, when you produce a sparkling wine with the Charmat method, because uh, our spumante is a Charmat method, uh, many, many companies that produce spumante uh, Charmat method don't make the spumante entirely by themselves especially if they, if they are not in region with a tradition with a sparkling. So I'm talking about Umbria, Lazio, but all the regions where there is not a, a very old tradition for making the sparkling, uh, 90% of the time the company ship the wine in uh, north of Italy, like for example in Veneto or in Trento. They make other companies okay, uh, that have the expertise, make the sparkling for them, and they buy back the wine. Or sometimes they buy the wine already with the bubbles and the label with their name. Totally legal, but you're not a producer at the origin, but you're a bottler. What we do here with Argile, we, we do entirely by ourselves, from the grapes to the bottle. And the, the spumante cannot be an exception. So since the very beginning, we wanted to face the challenge the challenge to make a sparkling wine, and we did entirely by ourselves. And I'm very proud of, because it's more difficult. Uh, we have learned a lot. We have to, uh, you know, have developed expertise. We have uh, another winemaker. So our winemaker for the steel wine is Lorenzo Landi, and we have another consultant for the sparkling process. And we have to invest on machineries. We have to buy a lot of machineries. Uh, and so it was, it's, it's, it's been a beautiful part. And now I'm very, very proud, especially because uh, since two years now, the spumante is entirely made by local grapes. For the first eight years, we used to make a sparkling wine made by Chardonnay. Uh, two years ago, we decided to move to a local blend, a local uh, grape varieties blend. Uh, and now is a blend of Grechetto, Trebbiano, Verdello, Malvasia, and Drupeggio. And these are the five components of the old Orvieto Doc appellation. And so uh, we can say that it's 100% local grapes, 100% argille, 100% made in Umbria, and 100% made in Orvieto. And this is the reason why we call it 100% or 100%. That's so funny. I was I was saying that in my mind, cento per cento. So that's, and it's because it's true. And you're acknowledging the tradition of the Orvieto region while also, you know, using innovation for the future. So I did not get to try the spumante, but I would love to try that in the future. You have to come back. Oh, <laughs> of course. Very soon. It's a little cooler. <laughs> of course. That's all I ask. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Not a problem. When you want, during the winter time, uh, even now, if you want, if you like. <laughs> okay, perfect. <laughs> That's when I'm made for Italy, in the spring and the winter, not the summer. <laughs> but so then talking, okay, so then talking about temperatures, of course, because I guess even for myself, usually when I've been traveling to Italy every summer for past at least 16 years, of course, minus, you know, the year 2020. 
but I had never been, I guess, in the central part of Italy that was landlocked, such as Umbria, during the heat, like the height of summer. And so for me, I didn't realize how hot it could be there. So, and I remember speaking with some of the producers and they were telling me again that, you know, especially with climate change, these temperatures, you know, are reaching high extremes. So when we talk about Orvieto wines, how do you think climate change will affect, of course, you know, these native grapes that you were just talking about, and of course, wine production? Climate change is, is affecting all the wine production everywhere, not just in Orvieto, but in all the other places in Italy, France, United States, everywhere. We work uh, outside and we work under the sun, as we say in Italy. We, in Italy, we say, lavoriamo sotto il sole, sotto il cielo. And so we have to face this. How we can do it is, uh, is uh, we, we, we can put in place many actions and we're doing already something like that with our consortium and uh, each single producer is trying to face the challenge by himself. Uh, with the consortium, we're now uh, develop, developing a project for uh, better studying the meteo and uh, uh, to better control and provide information to all the producers throughout the uh, meteo station that we are putting uh, uh, in some key points of the appellation in order to provide data and information to all uh, producers and also grape growers. And as as single uh, activity, as single companies, what, for example, I'm doing, I'm, I'm trying to put uh, uh, in place in order to face this climate challenges, first of all, try to, to uh, not to waste water. I'm looking for uh, new sources of water, for uh, watering the, the vineyards. Uh, at the moment, uh, we don't have a watering system, uh, an irrigation system for our vineyard, but I'm working for, you know, uh, invest on uh, an irrigation system in the following years. And so we're working to find some new water sources um, and try uh, the big challenge. And that's not easy, but it's something that I'm trying to study on is how to collect collect the water during winter time in order to use this water during summertime when grapes really deserve the water. That's, that's not easy, uh, but we work, we're trying to work on uh, big uh, uh, tanks for collecting the water or uh, artificial lake. Are you enjoying this podcast? There's so much more high-quality wine content available from Mama Jumbo Shrimp. Check out our new wine study maps, our books on Italian wine, including Italian Wine Unplugged, The Jumbo Shrimp Guide to Italian Wine, Sangiovese Lambrusco and other stories, and much, much more on our website, mamajumboshrimp.com. Now back to the show. But, you know, also Artificial Lake that already some companies, some wineries uh, created, they, they have the problem and during summertime they drown out. So it's not that easy. Uh, but this is, these are all things that we are work on. And, uh, but for sure, I'm, Julia, I'm very, very sure about, about this issue. We have to, uh, we, we will need more and more, more water in the following years. 
that's for sure. Um, one other thing that we can put uh, on place in place for facing this climate change is to change uh, where we put the vineyards. For example, uh, we planted we are planting new vineyards. Uh, we have in uh, project two more hectares this year, another three hectares new tractors uh, next year and we're going to uh, place the vineyards in uh, cooler places in cooler part of our property uh, till 10 years ago we used to put the vineyards in uh, places where we the, the, the vineyard could get a lot of sun a lot of sun rays especially east west exposure nowadays we are looking for place where more north oriented for a little bit of cooler climate so also where position where where to place sorry the vineyard can be an instrument in order to face the heat and the uh, climate change uh, we have in these days we're having and we have to face in the following years yes i remember speaking with enzo from tecuniano of course, and talking to him about the Mufa Nobile wines and how because of these extremes, it's not as if a Mufa Nobile wine might be produced every year because if there's a drought, of course, that's affecting the grapes as well in the Mufa Nobile process. So, you know, it's a very, um, you know, interesting future of what awaits Italian wine with all of these factors. And I know on your website that there's even a section on um, dedicated to sustainability and how, you know, your winery is respecting the environment. And it was talking about the structure of your cellar and using green energy and talking about packaging and wastewater. So that, that of course, is even nodding to climate change in the future. I completely agree with you. For me, uh, uh, sustainability is very important and it's uh, an overall approach, you know. Uh, you're not sustainable if you do just one thing for the environment. You are sustainable, at least this is my opinion, let's say, if you try to undertake uh, as many things you can do for the environment. No single activities you carry on every single day. So, for example, we, we're putting in place a lot of things. For One of these is uh, a phytopurification plant. Phytopurification means... Uh, uh, Sorry, feed of purification plants means a plant uh, uh, where we clean the dirty water, the wastewater of the cellar, in a 100% natural way. Uh, the water is cleaned out, is completely cleaned by uh, iris, so by flowers. Uh, and it's a totally natural process because in the roots of the iris, we have special kind of bacteria. You know the iris, no? Beautiful flowers. You know the iris? Uh, they are beautiful flowers, but in the roots they have special bacteria that for their life they eat, I can say eat, the dirty part of the water. And so the water that come out of this plant, of this purification plant, is completely cleaned in a natural way. So we don't waste the water that we use for, you know, cleaning the tanks, uh, for cleaning the cellar, but we completely recycle and reuse it. This is one of the things we put on, we put in place for uh, saving the water and for sustainability. Uh, but also, we can be sustainable in other way, not just uh, you know with a big investment. In this case, it was a very big investment because 
benefit that requires a little bit also of a, a incentive from, from European communities for creating the plant. Uh, but also in small decisions we take every day. For example, choosing the glass of the bubble. This can be a very easy decision, uh, and you can choose for a very expensive bottle with uh, heavy glass, or you can choose like light uh, bottles with less glass, and so you can save uh, uh, carbon dioxide for transportation. You can save uh, also energy for producing that glass and that bottles. So, I mean, sustainability is an approach, and... Uh, I would say is an overall approach. And that, that's my mantra. And I just learned something new about iris flowers. I didn't know that. There was <laughs> that component to them. Hmm, thank you very much for sharing that. And so honestly, we... honestly, it's not just the iris. Uh, Phytopurification plants can be made by, uh, I think there are 25 species of different plants and flowers. We choose the iris because I, I love to see them on this plant. You know, it's like a garden. Uh, but there are also other plants that make this kind of work, you know. That's amazing. And so then even going back to some of the other wines in the Orvieto region, we know that Orvieto Doc is, of course, a white wine uh, appellation. But we know that red wines are made in Orvieto. So what do you think about the future of red wines in the region? Uh, till now, the uh, portion of red wines is very, very small. We produce less than 200,000 bottles, sorry, 200,000 bottles a year, uh, while uh, white wines are 11 million bottles. So as you can see, there is a big, big difference. Uh, as a Rosso Vietano, uh, there is a potential. I have to be honest, as a quality, as uh, uh, the wine we produce, uh, and also because of the soil, we have volcanic and clay in particular. Uh, the production is very great, but the tradition here is mostly for white wine. So I'm, I'm, I cannot say probably there will be a big uh, future for the red wines here, but for sure, uh, there is uh, probably something that we can uh, develop better. There is a potential to exploit. And there are a few producers now that uh, uh, produce uh, uh, Rosorvitano. Probably they are, the, the, the group of uh, Rosorvitano producer, producers is too small. I hope that this can grow in the future because, of course, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a market. There is a potential. So... I'm confident that make it, maybe in the future, in the near future, can this this part can grow a little bit. And your red wines in particular, are what are the varieties that are used? Are they uh, international varieties or even Montepulciano or some Sangiovese? Uh, we produce uh, IGT, Umbria IGT, so it's not a Rosso Vietano, so, uh, but still it's a red wine produced in the area. So uh, just to be clear, no? uh, we have uh, the possibility to produce Rosso Vietano as a DOC wine, and we can produce IGT. As a company, we choose to produce IGT, and we choose international varieties, and we use, indeed, the Merlot and Cabernet, with a little bit of Montepulciano as well. 
And uh, we choose this, these uh, varieties because especially my grandfather was a big fan of uh, the Merlot and the Cabernet. He traveled all his life, uh, especially in France, and uh, he loved these two varieties. So uh, we decided to blend it and to have it in a, in a wine that is called Sinuoso. I don't know, I don't remember if you tried when you when you were here uh, last summer, but uh, the Simozo is uh, is uh, is a very um, interesting red wine. It's kind of a joker. I like to say it's a joker because it's uh, you know the joker uh, when you play cards, which is the card that fixes so many situations when you play. You know, and uh, the same is the Simozo. Simozo is very versatile. It's uh, uh, as its, its name suggests. It's a very smooth. Sinuoso in Italiano means something smooth, something round, something soft, and uh, it's a it's a very interesting red wine producing the area and especially over the clay soil. <clears throat> the Merlot and the Cabernet um, gives uh, a lot of structure, a lot of beautiful aromas, and they're very very interesting. Yes, uh, I especially love the name of it because, you know, we have another vocabulary term from your winery. So, you know, a very <laughs> smooth wine and it tells, you know, the, the consumer what to expect. So that's great. Now, of course, we talk about Italian wine and many producers, so such as yourself, also deal with olive oil production. And I've also studied olive oil. So I was wondering with your olive oil production, what are the cultivars that you use? And what is your opinion about, you know, olive oil production in Umbria? Because I've tried so many Umbrian olive oils and they're fantastic. It's just, they need the attention that some of the other regions nearby have garnered. I completely agree with you. Um, olive oil here is very interesting. It's beautiful. And one of the main, in, the main, the main, uh, uh, one of sorry, one of the most interesting uh, uh, aspect of the olive oil here is that olive oil of, from Umbria is, has a lot of body, a lot of structure, and the beautiful acidity. Um, so I don't know if you have traveled, if, if you have tried, sorry, in your life, uh, olive oil from uh, uh, Genoa, for example, from Liguria or from Puglia. Yeah. But you have tried. So these kind of olive oils are completely different from the one the ones you, you find in Umbria. These are more light in body, uh, light structure, uh, a little bit more flavors probably in the nose, but in the structure they are completely different from the ones from Umbria where you have more body, more structure, and much higher acidity level. So it, they are perfect for our cuisine, which is not a fish-based cuisine. Indeed, the one from Liguria, which are close to, they are close to the sea, no? they have the sea. They are perfect for a fish-based cuisine because a fish-based cuisine is very light. Fish is light, so it deserves, deserves a kind of olive oil that doesn't cover too much no? the fish. In this case, in Umbria, we, we have this beautiful olive oil with a lot of structure, strong and pungent structure that uh, suits perfectly with our cuisine, so I really like it. As the varieties, instead coming back from your question, we have here in my in my in my property three different varieties, which are the most spread in Umbria: Leccino, Moraiolo, and Frantuglio. And we blend them in uh, in our olive oil production. So we don't produce monocultivar kind of olive oils, but we blend it together. Yes, I do remember with 
Umbrian olive oils that the pungency, you know, and the strong flavor, the strong structure. Whereas if I were trying an olive oil, let's say from Sicilia or even Puglia, I would maybe have, you know, a lighter body, you know, more fluidity. And even as soon as I can sense uh, like tomato leaf, that's when I know I'm dealing with, you know, mm -hmm. more Southern olive oils, whereas the central Italian one, that's what you had just described. But yes, Umbrian olive oil, as long along with, of course, Orvieto Doc and other Umbrian wines need some showcase. So to help showcase them, we can't talk about wine and we can't talk about olive oil without talking about food. And so if you were to think about a perfect Umbrian meal and perfect pairings for Umbrian or even Orvieto wines, what would you pair them? How, or how would you pair them? I'm sorry. This is a very tough question. Sorry. That's <laughs> uh, very tough. You know, my husband has a restaurant, so I, I, I'm, I'm supposed to be very good in pairings, but I'm not. <laughs> and uh, my perspective, my, my thought about pairing the wine and with the food is uh, very subjective. I think each one has to uh, follow the personal tastes. And so I'd like to provide, you know, advices. But if, if I have to, I can say that for sure, one beautiful thing that we have about Orvieto wine is that they are very versatile. Orvieto wine, especially the white wine, is not the kind of white wine that goes just with a vegetable cuisine or a fish-based cuisine. Uh, it's a kind of white wine uh, that goes very well also with uh, a meat-based cuisine. And this is because the main component of the blend are Grechetto and Trebbiano. These two varieties has a lot of tannins, so they recalls a lot, especially in the mouth, the red wines. And this helps us to pair this white wine also with the meat-based cuisine. Probably not with a steak, okay, but for sure it pairs perfectly with the pork, chicken, hunting games. Hunting games, for example, we have a beautiful tradition of hunting in Umbria. So I would suggest, for example, guinea fowl. We have Faraona or Guinefau, uh, which is a local dish here in, uh, in Orvieto, together with the pigeon. I, I, I don't know if you uh, had the chance to try pigeon uh, in a restaurant in Orvieto, but it's very typical and traditional. I know it's weird <laughs> to, to eat pigeon, <laughs> but it's very typical in Orvieto. And it's perfect with Orvieto wine. So uh, one key point to keep in mind about Orvieto, and I want to... I would like that people remember is this is this versatility, versatility in pairings, which nowadays I think it's a good things, you know, because we all run, we are all very busy, we are all, you know, have, have a lot, of, we all have a lot of duties. Uh, so having a wine that pairs uh, many different foods and is very versatile, I think uh, today it's a value added. Yes. And I have a personal question to ask. So I had spent time in Castiglione del Lago. It was basically right before I had met you in Orvieto. And there was a small restaurant nearby that was serving porchetta sandwiches. And I probably had too much porchetta in one week. <laughs> However, <laughs> if I were to pair the, an Umbrian wine with the porchetta, you know, the typical, I, I don't want to use the term fast food, but you know, the easy street food, food. Street, yes, food. street food. Yes, the street food of Umbria. It was amazing. I'm sure if I lived there, it would be a problem for me. 
However, <laughs> what should the next time I have the porchetta, because I will only have it in Umbria, what should I have with it? Uh, a glass of Orvieto wine is perfect. Uh, it's perfect because that, you know, porchetta is a little bit greasy, has a lot of fat, it's super tasty. And a glass of or Bianco, Orvieto Bianco, is perfect because uh, the acidity balances the um, greasiest part, the fat, and clean your mouth. So I would say for sure within a glass of Orvieto is perfect. Um, probably not an aged Orvieto. I would go for, uh, uh, you know, 2021, for example, right now. Uh, so I even I... I Personally, of course, I never take one like 2015 or 16, you know, but something with a higher level of acidity to compensate a bit. Uh, I, I, I don't know if I cannot say, because I'm a wine producer, so I suppose to, you know, support the wine cause, but also with a beer, you know, that <laughs> can be very good also with a, with a glass of beer too as well. So we have beautiful production also of artisanal beers in Umbria. So second option is a beer. <laughs> Well, thank you for that. I will remember that the next time I have my porchetta sandwich. I mean, every day, I think, you know, they were used to seeing me because I'd say, okay, well, today I'd like it with the pomodori. And then the next day I would have, you know, other vegetables with it. So I tried all different styles of the porchetta. So I will remember that. Thank you. Now, when we talk about even Umbria in itself, because, of course, I remember even from Castiglione, you know, to Toscana, I remember visiting Toscana, you know, to tour a winery right across the border. And it was maybe a 20 minute drive. So very close. We know Tuscany and we know that Umbria itself is landlocked. But as a region this past summer, since I had spent at least three weeks there, you know, exploring all of the different cities. And I feel that sometimes it's an underdog. So it's a, a region that's not highlighted as much. It's known as, you know, the green heart of Italy. It is central Italy, but it doesn't have the attention of Toscana. And for me, spending so much time in Umbria, I would hope that more people would visit the region. And so as an Umbrian, what would you want visitors to Italy to know about the region and why they should visit? Not just even think about historically Orvieto, but we have the other cities of Perugia and such. What do you want them to know about Umbria? Uh, there are many things to see in Umbria and to experience here. Uh, so it's very tough to synthesize all of them. But I agree with you completely. Uh, Umbria deserves more attention. Uh, and uh, I, I want to say this uh, as, a, as a potential for growing, you know, because people, the majority of people around the world has to discover Umbria. So it's not discovered yet. Uh even though, I have to be honest, in the last uh, mm, 10 years, maybe 10 not, but for sure, the last six, five years, uh, we, are, we have uh, an enhancement in, uh, in the tourism level, tourism level, in the people coming here for vacation. Uh, a lot of people are buying property, investing in Umbria, and I'm talking about especially foreigners coming from the north of Europe, UK, United States, and other places in the world. And so uh, it's growing. We are growing and it's getting popular and popular. And that's very good. And also because as you did this summer, uh, 
a lot of people are coming in Umbra by chance, uh, probably because they pass by, uh, driving back uh, to Rome for taking the flight or back to Florence for taking the flight again. And uh, they stop and they discover Umbria and they say, wow, it's amazing. I want to come back. I want to know more. And, uh, and so it's, getting po- it's becoming popular and popular. The beautiful things people have to, oh, I suggest to discover one coming, one, one here is, uh, first of all, the beautiful cities that we have. Uh, we have uh, uh, Assisi, we have Perugia, we have Spoleto, Orvieto, of course. Uh, the beautiful history, beautiful monuments, and uh, uh, they're not so well known. Huh? That we're not talking about the Colosseo, but the Cathedral of Assisi is, Assisi is stunning. It's something that it's, you know, spectacular. Uh, it's like uh, the Cappella Sistina from Vaticano. It's kind of the same. So it's it's full of uh, religious culture, uh, food culture, wine culture. So my suggestion is just to come and to drive, to rent a car, because you have to have a car, you know, but I don't know if you uh, notice that because the connection are not so good. I mean, travel is not so easy. So rent a car and go around and just go with your heart full of, you know, your intuition and just visiting Gumbria. Yes, it's a beautiful region. In fact, I've been fortunate enough to visit most of the cities of the region, and one of my favorites was even Gubbio, because I would watch the show Don Mateo. And so watching the show all those years, I wanted to see, you know, the background of this medieval city. So I forced my husband to drive there. But he loved it, too, because even as an Italian himself, he hadn't really even experienced Umbria. And so when I, of course, you know, in charge of the itinerary, I said, we're going and, you know, driving through, he said, this is such a beautiful region. You know, he's from outside Napoli. And he even said, I didn't really know much about this place. And I'm like, well, that's what I'm here for, to force you to see more, you know, your native country. So I hope more people come to Umbria and visit and explore all of its treasures as well. I hope so. too. Yes, I'll do my best. I people have ask me. We are spreading the world. You know, spreading the word and slowly, slowly. But, you know, people, are, the, the level of tourism and people coming are increasing every year. And, uh, and we, are, we are very good with this because uh, we, I can see not just in the cellar, but also with the restaurant. Uh, I can see more and more people every year. And that's very good. I mean, um, it's, uh, it's Eden uh, still has, uh, is not, you know, it's, it's not has not the same reputation as Tuscany, not the same uh, awareness from, especially from foreigners. But slowly, it's growing. That's 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 interesting. That's that's important. Yes, and I think it's better that way because it's more of um, we're discovering this maybe on our way to and from Rome, from you know from Roma to Firenze or back and forth. But I know from um, you know from the Autostrada. You know, you can see even the Orvieto Cathedral, and it's such a stunning, um, you know, Duomo to see that that's probably one of the initial pulls, and then it's, well, no, stay for a while and explore everything else. So, Indeed, you're right, completely right, especially Orvieto, you know, I don't want to talk about just Orvieto, we're talking about, you're talking about Umbria, it's beautiful to discover, but especially Orvieto, it's a strategic point to go in around, because Orvieto is 
on the border with three regions. We are in Umbria, but we have Tuscany, 20 minutes far from by car, and we have Lazio, again, less uh, than 30 minutes by car. So staying in Orvieto uh, allow people to go around very easily to discover not just Umbria, but also the southern part of Tuscany and also the northern part of Lazio. So it's a very strategic point, you know, to keep as a base for driving around and discover many, many places, not just connected with a single region, but with many different regions. Yes. And that's how I will describe it the next time, I promise, as a strategic <laughs> base for your future travels in Umbria. <laughs> I will do that, I promise. Now, I still have another one more question about your winery. So, of course, we're looking to the future. So we look to the future of wines, tourism, olive oil and such. But what do you feel is the future of Adjile in itself? What do you foresee? Uh, I hope that uh, Argile future will be great. Uh, I'm working for that. And uh, I, I want that Argile uh, will be in the future a trusted brand and especially a brand that means Umbria for the consumer. So I hope that in the near future, not in a future that will be you know, so far away, uh, talking about Argile means talk, talking about Umbria. You know? uh, so that's, that's very important for me. Once again, I choose this region, I choose this town, I choose this project. I think there is, there, there is a big potential and uh, we have to work for it because uh, uh, I'm a young producer. I have many colleagues of mine, my age, and we represent the new generation. We have to work for, uh, you know, bring back the Orvieto uh, to its glorious past to make it trendy again, popular. And so I hope that in the future people can be uh, you know, more uh, aware about Orvieto wines uh, and uh, can be more, you know, happy about discovering Umbra and discovering this beautiful, beautiful wine, which is uh, uh, this great white wine. Yes, thank you so much. Because when I think of Orvieto, I think of also just Umbria in itself. So your winery is representing Umbria. And of course, we all know of what Umbria is as the green heart of Italy, as a place, you know, agriculturally with its wine, with its food, with everything that comes from this beautiful region. So I wish that for you as a producer and also for your winery and the other wineries um, from Orvieto Doc, and of course in Umbria in itself. And I'm wondering if we have any questions from anyone in the audience. So, can you guys hear me? Yes. Hello. Okay. Finally, yes. maybe, maybe you didn't get that the chair. Did you get the chairing? Yes. Thank you. <laughs> you love it. Listen, there is actually one question from the audience from Chefrichet. Maybe how are you using the water to clean equipment? Reusing the water. Uh, to clean equipment, barrels, etc. That that was one question from the audience. I suppose that's from that's for Julia. Uh, okay, we have a feed purification plant just in front of the cellar, and so the the waste water coming from the cellar, the dirty water, is completely cleaned by this uh, plant, 
And once it's out of the plant, we pump up again in the cellar and we reuse it for, again, cleaning the vat, cleaning the tanks, cleaning the barrels. So we use, we just pump from the phytopurification plant back to the cellar and we keep going on using it again and again and again. It's always the same water. We don't, we try not to use new water for, for the cellar. Okay, great. Listen, we're going to be, we're going to close up because I'm kind of in a rush um, this evening. I have to go into town. There are a lot of friends in Verona to, uh, tonight onward for the Anteprima Marone. Let's come back next next week, you guys. It's I, I believe it's the same time, our slot Thursday, and hopefully um, we'll get a chance to um, meet with our next... Let me see. I actually may have something. Here we go. So I believe next week, 9th of February, our um, ambassador is Renee Sferazza. She is an influencer from um, Canada. She will be interviewing uh, as a fireside chat with Giovanna Caruso. I see that. I hope that is the correct thumbnail, which I see on the chat. So thank you very much, everybody. And until next time, thank you very much, Julia and Julie. Julie and Julia. Alla prossima. Ciao, ragazzi. Don't forget to follow us uh, wherever you get your pods. It, this um this call will be completely replayed on the Italian Wine Podcast, wherever you get your pods. And our sister channel. You know, we have a sister channel called Mama Jumbo Shrimp. Check that out on the YouTube. And if you can leave us a thumbs up or a review, that would really be grand. Thank you very much. Ciao, ragazzi. Arrivederci. Arrivederci. Ciao. Ciao. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, cin cin.